right good singing this morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. <clears throat> and we're going to begin here in just the first two verses. And so I'm not going to say anything earth shattering this morning. I don't think that I'm going to say anything this morning that, uh, that you've not heard before. I find myself oftentimes at this time of the year needing to be reminded of more than I need to try to learn new. And uh, I have a few books that I try to read every year. I generally start that process about this time of the year, maybe even a couple of weeks in. Um, and uh, it's not that I've forgotten what they say. It's that I find that I need to be reminded of what I've, what I've lost track of or what I've kind of departed from. Uh, and so next Sunday or two, we're going to kind of take that track. We're just going to look at resetting this year and resetting our faith, our Christian lives, evaluating them. Uh, and then uh, typically we would have already kind of had a service to share where we're going this year, what our vision for the year is. We're going to do that on January the 31st. And so we invite you uh, to kind of mark that on your calendar. You don't want to miss that Sunday. Uh, we'll talk about some things that we want to try to re get reestablished and get reinstituted. We want to give a little bit of time for uh, kind of the COVID surge after the holidays to run its course and then get back busy to serving the Lord. And so, uh, that's not that we're not serving the Lord now, but we still need to be cautious and careful. And we're going to do that, but we also uh, cannot perpetually uh, put on the back burner things that God has told us to keep on the front burner. And so, uh, we want to be faithful to the Lord. Uh, and we want to be wise and we want to be cautious as we do that, but we, we want to be busy about our Father's business. And so uh, this morning as we look here, uh, if you have looked at this text, you already know what the message is about this morning. Uh, the Bible says here, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. I want to speak this morning on the thought, building a foundation of faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, we just thank you for the great love that you have for us. And Lord, you love us so much that you would not leave us in our sin, and you will not let us be comfortable in our sin if we know you as our, as our Savior. Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning to open our hearts to you. I pray that you would help us to be reminded of some things that will encourage us in our Christian life that will help us to please you and to be effective for you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to open our hearts and not close, uh, close our hearts and minds down whenever we hear something familiar or something maybe that's a little uncomfortable. But may we consider your word this morning and Lord, may it change our lives. In Jesus' name, and amen. <clears throat> you know, there are a lot of things about faithfulness. We hear a lot of preaching about faithfulness. We hear a lot of uh, you know, casual comments about faithfulness off and on throughout time. And, you know, faithfulness is the one thing that everybody that's here can do. Not everybody that's here this morning can stand up and speak publicly. Now, I don't think that I'm necessarily that gifted of a speaker, but I do think, I do know that there are some people that just get so nervous in front of a crowd they can't function. Uh, then there are others that, uh, you know, there, there's not, but maybe a couple of people that could get up and play the piano. Uh, there may be others that could get up and do something else that's unique. There are a few that could fix something that no one else could fix. Uh, but all of us, no matter what stage of life we're in, can be faithful. And I'll tell you this, there's not anybody in this church that's more encouraging to the pastor, the staff, and the other leaders in the church than those of you who are faithful. 
those that you can just count on them to be, count on you to be in your place. It's encouraging to be able to know when I come in and look around, uh, there are certain people that I expect to be in certain places. Every once in a while, you try to get sneaky and switch positions and uh, go someplace else. And sometimes it's because you're being mischievous and you're just trying to mess with me. Uh, sometimes it's because uh, some guests came in and took your seat. Uh, and, and you just politely and courteously uh, found another one, and I commend you for that. And so that's not always been the case. And so, uh, you know, you, you've gotten there uh, with joy and with a praise the Lord. Somebody else was here, and uh, if it's really that important for you to get that seat, the best piece of advice that I can give you is just get here earlier next time. Uh, and so, uh, but, but praise the Lord that you're here. Uh, sometimes you just kind of you just you know somebody's there and you got to move. I didn't know this morning if Miss Catherine was singing the special or if she was. I don't know what she was doing. But she's all the way on the front row. Revival has come from somewhere somehow. Uh, she's finally off the back and up in the front. My wife and daughter, on the other hand, uh, have fallen under the 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 horrible influence of Miss Hera, uh, and they've been drugged all the way from the second row to the second to last row. Uh, and so I just pray for them. That's the only thing that I can say. I can just ask you to pray, you know, and then others of you are cold. It's getting warmer. You know, I, and somebody this morning, uh, Miss Sandra come in right away. Pastor, it's cold in here. Uh, and Miss, Miss, Miss Patsy's sitting there all covered up in a blanket. And I said, well, look at Miss Patsy, Miss Sandra. She's cold too, but she's got a sweet spirit about it. She's not griping and complaining. Uh, and so, uh, you know, however we are, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, you know, some of you are cold, some of you are fanning. Some of you, that tells me when I see people fanning and others shivering, that we got it about right. Uh, and so, uh, you know, you're just, you're just never going to get it to where uh, everybody's happy. I'm just happy whenever I've got it where somebody's happy. And so, uh, praise the Lord for the opportunity to come together and worship Him. And I tell you, this has been an intriguing time uh, these last several months for me as a pastor. It's been really strange to step back. Uh, it's been really strange to watch uh, how God just continues to work, whether we can work or not. And so, uh, you know, we're working, we're doing what we can do, but all the things that typically would fill up our calendar and agenda for not just our church, but churches across the country and the world, really, uh, everything has had to be modified. Everything's had to be made changes to, but yet uh, we've seen more adults saved and baptized in the last three or four weeks than, than we probably saw in the last calendar year that we uh, were actively out every single Saturday knocking on doors or canvassing doors or doing things like that. And the reality is, is that God just works. Uh, and so when people are seeking the truth, God is always seeking people that are truth seekers. And so uh, let's be praying that, that God helps us to be seekers of truth. And in order to do that, we have to be faithful. Now, we can all do that. Now, I realize this morning, as I was saying, not everyone can necessarily preach or teach a class or sing, but everybody can be faithful. Not everybody can go out and endure the heat or go out and endure the cold. Not everybody can go out and, uh, and there may be some things you can do at certain times of the year that you can't do at other times of the year because of where you are physically and with your health and, uh, and with, with our ages. And so the older that I get, the more understanding I have uh, about that. And so, but we can all be faithful. <clears throat> you know, it's not about talent. It's not about, uh, it's not even really about uh, you know, being that person that's so disciplined that you can just make yourself do a lot of things that you hate to do. Uh, it's about doing things with a heart of love for Christ. Uh, there's a lot of people that come and go, and there's a lot of people that burn bright for a while but soon fizzle out. But what defines greatness is not doing something well. What defines greatness is doing something well for a long time. 
I, I watched maybe about 10 minutes of a football game last night, and I was intrigued. My wife even said, man, these guys have been playing forever. Uh, and so how long has he been playing? He's probably been a starting quarterback in the National Football League for I, I want to guess probably 25 years. If it's not 25, it's close. He's 43 or 4 years old, and he doesn't show any signs of slowing down. And he threw for well over 300 yards yesterday. And I don't think that any reasonable person can argue that he's not the greatest quarterback that's ever played the game. And it's not because he's – and he has accomplished more than most simply because of the years that he's played the game. What's made him so great is longevity being willing to do what was necessary to preserve his health and his body and his mind to be able to play for so long. Uh, and so it's not about all the time the, the, the brightest, the, the loudest, the flashiest, uh, the, the newest, the keenest idea. Uh, it's not about the latest fad. It's not about uh, those things all come and go. It's, it's all about just am I going to still be here doing what I'm doing years from now? Uh, being faithful, and that's what brings that's what's pleasing to the Lord. The word faithful means to be firm in adherence to the truth. So if I'm faithful in, in this context, I am firmly adherent to the truth. I'm, I'm fixed to it. It's not going anywhere. We have this, a few years ago, my uh, children pitched in and they bought their mom a rocking chair from Cracker Barrel. Uh, the, the, the few things in life that are better than a rocking chair from Cracker Barrel. We really don't have a front porch, and I don't want to ruin the finish by putting it on the back one, so it typically stays in our living room most of the time, uh, which are hardwood floors. And so I put uh, felt on the bottom of it, and so I've got these long runs of felt on the bottom of those runners on the chair because when they, everybody comes, that chair moves. It doesn't stay stationary. Uh, it slides to the left. It slides to the right. It scoots back. It gets drug forward. And, and then the other day, she's like, what do you want me to do with this piece of felt? I just need to pull it off or cut it off or uh, it was part of it had lost its adherence. It was not adhering to the wood. So most of it was there and the main part of the rock room was, was protect. The floor was still pretty well protected, but there's this big tail just kind of hanging off of it. Just, just cut it off. I'll get another piece and put it on there. But it was not adhering. And there are too many people today that are not adhering to the truth. We need to be adhering to the truth. To be faithful means to adhere to the truth. It means that I need to firmly adhere to my duty. Uh, listen, that's not a popular message today, but if you're a child of God, you have a duty to him. And so I preached about that last Sunday night, the, the whole duty of man. And we all have obligations to the Savior. Uh, and so we ought to serve him because we love him. But whether we are in a good place in our relationship with Christ or not, we are not relieved of our duty to him. I mean, when I was in the military, uh, there were some things that we had to do that I get pretty excited about. They were fun. They were exciting. They were, hey, let's go and learn this or go and practice that. And uh, then there were other things that were just a drag. And whether it was a drag or whether it was fun and exciting it was still our duty to do it and it had to be done <clears throat> and so firmly adhering to duty it also means to conform uh, to the truth and I chose a bad word there when I put conform to the truth and I'm not sure if that's on your notes or not if it is scratch it out and put transform by the truth because we, we, you know, when I grew up, we just kind of, uh, in church, and we heard conform to the truth, it, it meant trans, be transformed by the truth. But what it's, what it's unintentional consequence is that there are a lot of people that just conform. Yeah. Listen, confirmation is not transformation. 
Uh, and there are a lot of people that come to churches and they conform to the culture of the church or they conform to the expectations of the church or its leaders. Uh, and that's not real change. That's not legitimate change. That's not pleasing even to the Lord. What we really need and what we really need to be seeking is for the word of God to transform us, for the Holy Spirit of God to transform us. And so uh, as a pastor, just if, you, if you're new this morning, this may be a little bit different from what you would uh, have heard in the past from other, from other churches that you've been in. But as a pastor as a leader of Victory Baptist Church here in Baytown, I, I never have as a goal for anyone to come in and to conform to what this standard or what this belief or what this, it, uh, we need to be transformed by the Spirit of God. Amen. When God speaks to me about something, then that changes me. I change because God spoke to my heart. Uh, and so that's the, I never want someone to walk an aisle, make a decision, make a commitment to Christ because they felt like pastor guilt, guilted me into it, pressured me into it, or that's what it was required to please him. What's, listen, number one, the, the, the only person that we really need to be worried about pleasing is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and if we're pleasing the Lord and our spiritual leaders are right with the Lord and walking with the Lord, they will be pleased and so, uh, as well. And so we need to be mindful of the fact that God loves us, God cares for us, and we need the Word of God to transform us. And as the Word of God transforms us, that builds a deep-seated loyalty in us to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Word of God, and to the institutions that the Lord established. In other words, I, I cannot be truly loyal to God and not loyal to my family and my marriage because that's an institution that God established. I'm the leader of my home. My wife uh, sets the spirit and the tenor of the home and our children when they were in our home uh, had re requirements and obligations to obey with the right spirit and attitude and and we tried to foster that and to teach that, uh, and that built that should build a loyalty within families. Families should be loyal to one another, but not more loyal than they are to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus talked about when he said that he came to put variants. Families, mothers and daughters and sons and fathers. And uh, it's not that he came to try to disrupt the family. It's if you believe and follow God and your family will not choose God over family. Loyalty is always first to Christ. The same thing in the church. And loyalty, listen, I, I, I don't want to belong to a church that I can't be loyal to. I don't want to follow a pastor that I can't be loyal to. But if the pastor puts me in a position to where I have to choose being loyal to Jesus or loyal to him or loyal to, uh, to Jesus or loyal to the ministry of a church, then Jesus wins. It's not God's design for that false loyalty, but the truth is, is that being loyal to the institutions that God established that are following the Word of God and following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, it's an automatic thing that should foster in us a loyalty to Jesus that's seen through the workings of the ministries that He's placed us in. And so loyalty is faithfulness. There's Years ago, there was a man, a pastor or a preacher named Mel Rudder. And Mel Rudder probably is most well known for uh, his book, In Pursuit of God. He died in the late 90s. He uh, was uh, well known in the prime of his ministry. But during World War II, he served in the U.S. Army Air Corps and he was stationed in the Philippines. And if you know World War II history, you know that the Japanese overran the Philippines, that General MacArthur was forced to, the main allied or American leader was forced to flee the, the nation quickly and get to Australia, that he might be preserved. And the Bataan Death March happened after that because the American forces there collapsed. But before they collapsed, 
collapsed, the British forces collapsed. And while the British forces were collapsing in the north, uh, then the Americans were making preparations to try to resist with the Filipinos as best that they could in the Philippines. Mel Rudder's unit was stationed in Luzon. And in Luzon, in their encampment, they had a big bulletin board, which was typical of the day. Uh, and he, the, every soldier was expected to go and to read whatever was posted on the bulletin board. And they put uh, orders for the day. Uh, they would put things that were upcoming, the things that weren't secretive, uh, they would post on there. And you were responsible, uh, if you're in the military, whatever unit or branch, if, those, if there's a, a, something like that, you're responsible to know what's up there. And so everyone would come <coughs> and check that on a daily basis. And and make sure that they uh, were aware of what they were supposed to be aware of. And so uh, Mel goes up one day and he begins to read and he reads the orders of the day and all of those types of things and make sure that he doesn't, didn't miss any information in their morning formations and things that were passed. And then they also would put news articles up and they tried to keep up with what was going on in the other theaters of war, whether it was in the European theater or there in other places within the Pacific theater uh, of, the, of the war. And as he uh, read there, he stood captivated by a story that he read that just blew him away. It was so unbelievable. And so as he stood there, he began to weep uncontrollably. And after a while, as he read the story, so other soldiers began to notice him crying. And they come and they, they ask him, what, what, what's, what's wrong? And he, he just, all he could do was point at the bulletin and the article of the, uh, that was posted on the board. And, and finally, he just walked off and went to his tent. And he looked back and saw a crowd gathering. And they were just everyone reading uh, the story. And what had taken place and what was reported there was that as the British were driven from the north of Singapore... And the Japanese were in control. They were still trying to mop up the British forces that uh, kind of escaped their, their imprisonment. And so they, they had controlled the area, but they had not yet gathered up all of the miscellaneous troops that kind of got fragmented from their, their units. So they were interrogating or torturing the Filipino people to get information about where the British were. And so this chieftain's wife was taken and brought out to the middle of, of their village and, and she was publicly interrogated uh, by the Japanese. And they, uh, they tortured her mercilessly. They took uh, bamboo shoots, usually was the thing that got everyone talking. And they would take these shoots of bamboo and drive them under the fingernails and under the toenails and the excruciating pain that that would cause. And, uh, and usually that was enough to cause uh, the person to give the information. Uh, and so uh, she would not, she, they couldn't break her. And the officer in charge was increasingly frustrated. And finally, he's looking at the people that are around and he sees a young girl that is particularly suffering with this woman. And correctly, he deduced that this is this woman's daughter. And so they get this young girl and they bring her over and they uh, build a fire and they get it to where the coals are white hot and, uh, and they take a heavy rope and they put it around the girl's arms and they take a heavy uh, beam and they lower her over the fire until she's perspiring. And uh, according to the document that was posted in uh, Mr. Rudder's testimony, it was not so hot that she simply was sweating, but that her inner fluids were actually oozing out of her pores as she suffered. She suffered so 
somehow quietly. She did not scream out. She did not uh, cry out. And the mother watched in agony as she was tortured. Her daughter was tortured. And uh, they continued to press the mother. If you don't, if you don't give us the information that we're looking for, uh, your daughter's suffering because of you. And then the officer would take his sword and he would run it across that rope until it began to cut through the rope. And uh, that was repeated over and over until there was just barely uh, enough rope hanging on that the, the mother was so concerned that it was going to snap that she, with the heat. And, uh, and if he took one more swipe with the sword and she finally said, okay, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, the daughter's face distorted suffering in the heat. And the little girl finally said something that was audible. And she said, Mommy, Mommy, don't tell them. Jesus will take care of me. And as she did, a P-40 flew over and the Japanese fled into the jungle. They feared a strafing that never came. But for some reason, they didn't come back. They were able to rescue the young girl. Mr. Rudder was deeply impacted by that throughout his life. As he told the story and gave account of the story, he went on and he said, you know, what went through my mind as a young soldier there in the Army Air Corps was, why God would you let this little girl suffer like that? And then he said, my mind was directed by the Holy Spirit to Stephen and to Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and to Jesus on the cross. And all those that Jesus and that God had called upon to suffer for the cause of Christ, that the message might be given. And then he thought, how could someone be so loyal? How could someone be so faithful that they would, that they would, endure such pain it was beyond his ability to think and then he thought of Jesus and the Bible saying that yes Jesus is the same yesterday and today uh, and forever and the, the girl loved her Savior so much that she was willing to die for the British because it was the British that brought Jesus to her. Somewhere along the way some committed missionary had gone to a faraway land and had brought Jesus to those people. And they so appreciated the Jesus that they've been brought that they would not give up that missionary's countrymen to the enemy to be murdered and to be imprisoned. She stayed faithful. There are a lot of things in this life <clears throat> that matter. And there are a lot of things that don't. But one thing in the Christian life that matters really above almost anything else is our faithfulness. God's been faithful to us. Jesus is always faithful to us. He never fails us. And it's not that he doesn't choose us sometimes to suffer for his namesake, but when he does, he's faithful to go through it with us and to give us the grace to endure. And as we look at this this morning and we consider, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ. And that word ministers there is, is from a Greek word, huperetes, uh, which literally means an under rower. Okay, so what the meaning there and what Paul is communicating here is that Paul did not, as the leader of, uh, of the, many of these churches, or they viewed him that way as he was the one that preached and caused these churches to be established, uh, is that he did not view himself as, uh, as being their ruler. He viewed himself as being an under rower. An under rower in those times, what is meant by that word is that this is at the height of the Roman Empire and many of their ships in the Mediterranean were powered by slaves that rode. 
And you see, if you've seen sometimes maybe in an old, uh, an old movie like Ben-Hur or something like that, in the old Charlton Huston film where uh, he's incarcerated and made a slave in a Roman rowing ship and the warship and they're under below, the, below decks, many times right at the waterline. Uh, and as someone is there banging on the beat of the drum, they are rowing in unison, in harmony, working together with one another. Uh, and different commands set the pace of their rowing. Different commands would cause one side to stop and raise their oars or lower their oars so that they could turn more quickly. Paul viewed himself as an under rower. He said, I'm not any different than anyone else. And by the way, uh, no pastor is different than anyone else in the congregation. We're just under rowers. Jesus is the head of the church. Uh, we come to a place where we realize that we've got to work together in harmony, in unison. And what Paul is saying here, let a man so count of us as, a, as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And then so he's referring here to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4 when he's talking about what incredible responsibility has been conveyed upon them when Jesus put us in trust of the gospel. And so the gospel has been entrusted to their care, to his care, and it means everything to him. And he says, moreover, it is required in stewards. I'm a steward. I've been a steward of the gospel. It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now he's writing this to the church at Corinth, and the church at Corinth is corrupt. It's corrupt because they have false teaching. It's corrupt because they're distorting the gospel. And he goes at great lengths to deal with that. And he goes at great lengths to tell them how they are to interact and not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And he tells them in the books of Corinthians that we are to disassociate ourselves for those that preach another gospel. He enforces that in Galatians and we'll touch on that in a moment. But we have to understand this morning the context here as he's preaching this to a corrupt church that's let false doctrine and teaching in. They are overwrought. Uh, with what, what, you know, many false doctrines today base their teachings and belief systems on the writings of, and the practices of this church at Corinth when all Paul ever did was rebuke it. And so when we look here, what I have to understand this morning is that if I would be faithful in this new year in my walk with Christ, if I would build a foundation in my own personal life of faithfulness, that I must first of all faithfully apply truth to my life. I must be faithfully applying the truth to my life. In other words, I must be faithfully allowing the truth to transform me. I am, I am going to take not only the principles that I learn, but I am going to apply them to my life. Listen, it doesn't do you any good to get ready and to come in and to sit and listen if you forget everything that you've heard the minute that you walk out the door this morning. All you've done is acquire some information but it hasn't affected your life. And when it comes to the gospel, I need my life to be, I need my life to be impacted. That's, that's upending it. It needs to, there's some things in my life that the gospel needs to destroy. I, I want to be infected with the gospel. I want to be addicted to the gospel. I want to be involved with the gospel. Uh, and so what I want to be is faithfully applying truth to my life. James said it this way in chapter 1 and verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. We have far too many people in churches across the world today that do a lot of hearing but do little doing. And when I talk about doing here, I'm not necessarily talking about going and knocking on someone's door. I'm talking about simply doing what God says to do in his word. Amen. It is being faithful to the truth that God reveals to me. 
Faithful to yield myself to him. Faithful to humble myself before him. Faithful to exhort one another in the love of Christ. Faithful uh, to worship him. Faithful to, uh, yes, is included in that is sharing our faith, uh, but it's not isolated to the sharing of our faith. I need to be making application to my life. And every Sunday that you come, you should be asking yourself when you go home, what can I take from what I just heard and use in my life and how can I use it in my life this week? Life change will never happen until we begin to use what we've learned in our life. Faithfully apply the truth to your life. Three thoughts about that this morning. The first thing that I would say is this. God's word must be applied to my life. If I want to build that foundation of a faithful life, what do I have to do? Well, it starts with when I start making application of God's word to my life. It's that hunger for truth. It's not just a hunger for, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, getting the knowledge. It's a faithful for, it's a, it's a hunger for using it in my life and letting my life uh, be changed by the power of the gospel. God's word must be applied to my life. When's the last time that you can recall? I mean, if I were to pass out a piece of paper this morning and say, don't put your name on it, but write down the last sermon that you heard that you can remember that actually facilitated something in your life that was different that week. Maybe you hadn't read your Bible in a month and you went home and that week you read your Bible. Maybe you hadn't prayed in two and you went home that day and you started praying that week. That's one of the kind of thing I'm talking about. When's the last time you can remember something that you heard preached from this pulpit that actually you tried to put into practice in your life in that week? And until we live that way, we're just spinning our wheels. We're not gaining any ground in our life for Christ. We're not letting the word of God change who we are. We're not allowing God to transform us because we're not willing to make application to life. Sometimes it may be something that's a big deal in your life. Sometimes it might be a minor adjustment in your life. The size of the adjustment is as important as the fact that the heart is willing to make the adjustment in the first place. God's word must be applied to our lives. The second thing I would say is that my life then becomes more like Jesus every day. When's the last time that you could look at your life and just say not every day, let's just go for a week here. That on Monday you sit down and you evaluate your life when you, get, when you get your week started and you can look at this last week and compare it to the week prior and you can see where you've become different and more like Christ in this week than you were the week before. And I think that most of us would have to say that at times at least that I was less like Christ this week than I was the week before. And probably we could say both things in the same week in a given week. We could make both statements almost every week of our lives if we really dug deep. There are some things that, I, you know, I, maybe I did really wonderfully for the Lord this week and other things that I struggled in. And I want to address those things where I'm struggling and I want to let God work in my heart and not be closed off. I don't want to be excusing them. And we uh, live in a horrible time culturally where we've really been trained and groomed to think that as long as I've got an excuse, then I'm excused. And that's just not true. There are no excuses with God. And really, it's a big problem that we'll become, and we just, it's just ingrained in us, uh, really, at this point of all of our ages, uh, but it's been so ingrained in us culturally that we really think that, well, you know, uh, it, it, I've got an excuse, so it's all right. Well, you might have an excuse, but that doesn't make it all right. If God said it, then we're accountable for it. Amen. And we'll give an account and, make it, and have to answer for it. 
And what I'm saying this morning is that I need to be faithfully applying truth to my life. If I want my life to have a foundation, a foundational principle of I am going to be a faithful Christian, I cannot do that if I'm not faithfully applying God's truth to my life. Secondly, I must faithfully adhere to that truth. I must faithfully adhere to that truth. It's like that rocking chair that I was talking about uh, a few minutes ago. The problem with that piece of felt on the bottom that protects the floor is that the, 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 the last third of that strip of, uh, of felt has lost its adherence. It had a self-adhesive. It had an adhesive on the back of it. And that adhesive lost its ability to stay bonded to the wood. And a problem with us a lot of times is that we understand some truth and we start to make application to our life. But after a week or two or a month or two or a year or two, there are things that begin to slip away because they simply lose their ability to remain adhered to the truth. It's not that I don't know of the truth. It's that I'm not adhering to the truth. I'm not stuck to it. I'm not bonded to it. I, I, I'm not. Uh, listen, uh, we need to stay bonded to truth if we would be faithful. Galatians chapter number 1 in verses 8 and 9, he talks about this. And, and he talks about it in, uh, in, in reference to letting false teaching and false doctrine uh, come in and permeating the church. And he says, but though we uh, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. If you're preaching another gospel... Paul says, if it's me that's preaching another gospel, if an angel comes from heaven and preaches a different gospel than what you've been given, it's accursed. They're accursed. He goes on, he continues in verse 9 and says, and as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any gospel unto you, then that ye have received, let him be accursed. Now listen, there, there are a lot, of, uh, a lot of different types of ministries out there. There are a lot of different teachings out there. There are a lot of people that if you listen to them on the surface, it sounds good. But when you dig deeper into what the true doctrine and belief system is, it's corrupt. And I have an obligation as a Christian to understand if I'm getting involved with something there in that teaching, that I understand what reality and what truth is. For example, I, you know, I've, uh, I appreciate what God used Billy Graham in his lifetime to accomplish. I don't think that anybody can say that Billy Graham wasn't used by God in a great way to bring many people to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But having said that, when he began to make decisions that when he had his large crusades that he was going to put uh, people of other faiths, uh, people that had different belief systems, uh, people that were from other denominations that were that were uh, that had false doctrine interwoven into their denominations, and he then turned the decision cards of those converts over to those that preached and taught false doctrine. That 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 people were right, churches were right to back away from associating with that ministry. Why? It was everything that he did wrong. No, but he began to he he still preached publicly the same doctrine the same gospel, but the practical application of that gospel was very corrupt and distorted. I, he's, he's on a platform preaching, and I'm not trying to bash Billy Graham this morning. I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to make a point in a broader context because I'm just telling you that there are a lot of churches out there that look a whole lot more like Joel Olstein today than they look like a true Bible church. And there are a lot of people that have forsaken 
true biblical preaching for a lot of feel-good, scratch-my-ears preaching that's just really not even preaching. It's just a pep talk on Sunday morning served up on a silver platter so you can feel justified and good about yourself throughout the week. And it sounds good and it makes you feel good so people buy into it. And what I'm saying this morning is that when we get to a place where someone is coming in and where they're, where they're preaching a different gospel, in other words, you've got to do this in order to maintain your salvation, that's, a, that's another gospel. When you stand up and someone says uh, that you know, salvation's by grace through faith plus baptism, that's another gospel. When someone stands up and preaches that salvation is by grace through faith, uh, but you've got to speak in tongues, then that's another gospel. If someone stands up and says, if you're preaching salvation is by grace through faith, uh, and it comes to a point where it says you've got to do this, you've got to do that, uh, you've got to give this amount, you've got to heal this many people, you've got, it's another gospel, and the Bible says they're to be a curse. They're not to be joined hand in hand with, they're to be a curse. That's not me speaking, that's the Apostle Paul speaking with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. If you have a problem with that, you have a problem with the Bible and the Holy Spirit that inspired it. And we need to come to an understanding that if I'm running around all my life and spending all my ministry time hooked up with people that are preaching another gospel, I need to disassociate from them and run to Jesus. Amen. It's not enough to stand up and to just proclaim that salvation is by grace through faith and then to let it be distorted by those that I fellowship with and that I run with. I'm not to fellowship with forces of darkness. The Bible says that even Satan himself is able to appear as an angel of light. And they may feel like when they stand up and speak in tongues and chant and do this and do that, that they've got a, the Spirit is moving. And I'll tell you, the Spirit is moving, but it's not the Holy Spirit of God. It's a Spirit from the pit of hell that's disguising himself like an angel of light. And I'm just saying this morning, we need to be aware that if I would be faithful to Christ, I must be faithful to the gospel. And I cannot be faithful to gospel when I'm running the streets with those that the Bible says should be accursed. When it comes to a place and understanding that I am not just here and I cannot be faithful if I simply faithfully apply the truth to my life, I must faithfully adhere to the truth in my life, even if it means divorcing myself from close personal relationships. Jesus said that he came to put mother and daughter, son and father at variance or at odds one against another. He said, I came to bring the sword, not peace. You say, but I thought Jesus was all about peace. He is whenever you align with truth. But whenever truth is attacked, then that is going to set people at odds with you. And you're not going to coddle anybody into heaven. They just need to hear truth. And we have a culture, church-wise, religion-wise, where we've come to a place, uh, even in churches that uh, at one point stood where we stand on a lot of issues, have come to a place uh, where they're so worried about hurting someone's feelings that they're so sugarcoating the truth that you can't even detect the truth in it. It's not the whole truth, it's a partial truth. And then you see they're popping up and wives are on the platform leading in prayer and preaching sermons and going against the clear teaching of Scripture about the order and the leadership of the church of the living God. And people are just kind of going along because no one's willing to stand up and say, that's not of God. That's the contrary to the Word of God. And I'm just telling you this morning, we don't need to adhere to what makes people feel good. We need to adhere to the truth of the Word of God. Amen. Faithfully adhering to truth. I will not abandon the truth. I may, I, we cannot be faithful and forsake what we know to be true. Right. Well, pastor, I don't agree with you on that. 
That's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. But I challenge you to come into agreement with the Word of God. This isn't about me and you. This isn't about me and some other church across town. This is about a Christian adhering to the truth of God's Word. And say, well, pastor, that's tacky and that's ugly and that's a mean spirit. I'm not trying to be mean-spirited. I'm trying to not be misunderstood. Amen. I'm trying to speak clearly and plainly and bluntly. Because there are some times that if I try to make things sound too cozy and comfy and not hurt anybody's feelings, the point is not made and people just don't get it. I get reminded in conversation often that, that there are a lot of things out there that we take for granted that people understand. And the reality is, is that they just, they don't understand. They don't get it because it's not clearly articulated. I'm trying to be very clear this morning. I cannot in good conscience partner, minister with someone who preaches another gospel. Even if it sounds good on the surface. Why? Because the Bible says they're accursed. And Paul purged it from the church. Paul condemned it in the church. Paul didn't say go out and join forces. Paul said disassociate yourself. When we come and we understand that I must faithfully adhere to the truth. You want to be faithful this morning? Listen, I'm just telling you that the one thing that every Christian can be is faithful. And nothing else really matters. You want God's blessing. You want God's power on your life. You want God to use you. you know, the Bible said in Proverbs 28, 20, a faithful man shall abound with blessing. Amen. Do you want God's blessing? Faithfully adhering to truth. I will not abandon the truth. I will not forsake what I know to be true. And I need to realize that whenever I take that stand, that trials are going to come. But the truth is still the truth. Amen. Thirdly this morning. Not only do I need to faithfully apply to truth, not only do I need to faithfully adhere to the truth, but I need to faithfully adhere to my duty. Now, I preached a whole sermon about that on Sunday night. I'm not going to re-preach that message this morning. But I do want to remind us this morning, and if you've missed that, just look up on, you can go back and watch it online. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, that we have a duty to love God and man. It's our duty. So, Pastor, you're not speaking very lovingly this morning. No, the, the, the love speaks truth. Amen. We, we live in a time when everybody thinks that love is just going along with whatever somebody else wants to do. Hey, I got you on this. Even if you're wrong, I'm in your corner. Well, I'm sorry, that, 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 that's not friendship. The world thinks that's friendship. But that's not friendship. Friendship gets in your way if you're trying to do wrong. Friendship tells you when you're making bad decisions. Genuine friendship is required by love to correct error. Now, I mean, I can jump in on Kyle and I can say, Kyle, here's a laundry list of things in your life that are just wrong, brother, and I love you and I got to tell you. And he decides, I'm going to do it anyway. That doesn't mean that I'm going to treat him unkindly now. But it, I, it'd be foolish to think that that's not going to affect our relationship moving forward. Now, I'm picking on Kyle because I don't, not, not any areas that I'm aware of that I need to get that laundry list out on. His mom hasn't given me the list yet. She said she'd give it to me after the service this morning. But the point is, is this. Kyle, if I love you and you're in error, I'm duty bound to say, 
You're wrong here, brother. Let me help you. It's still your decision. I'm not trying to dictate. I'm not trying to pressure. I'm not trying to coerce. I'm trying to call your attention to truth. What you do with that truth is between you and God. But what you do with that truth may very well impact our relationship as well. If you choose to go against God, I go with God. And if I choose to go against God, you go with God. Because that's all that matters. I don't, listen, I'm not trying to build a following of people here that are faithful to pastor or that are faithful to Victory Baptist Church. I'm trying to instill in us a desire and a commitment to be faithful to Jesus. And to be faithful to Him means that I have to fulfill my God-given duty. And that duty is to love one another. And love speaks truth. When I was in the Marine Corps, there were some things that we got to do that were fun, exciting. There, there were things that we kind of looked forward to, sometimes with fear and trepidation, but we still got excited about it. And there were things that we had to do that we just, I mean, for, I mean, for a week before the operation or before the training cycle, we would just be, everybody's talking about it, and there's just a buzz, and it's like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And then there were other things that we had to do that were just pure misery. And you just didn't hear anything but gutting and griping the whole time from everybody. But you know what? It still got done. The fun got done and the not so fun got done. You know why? Because it was duty. Not everything in, in ministry is fun. Not everything in ministry is glamorous. Somebody's got a clean toilet. Somebody's got a mobile lawn. Somebody's got a weed eat. Somebody's got a vacuum. Somebody's got to do all the things that nobody else sees. Somebody's got to do the things that no one notices. Someone's got to do it and not care whether or not they get a pat on the back. You know, I appreciate Brother Sandy coming in uh, during the week at least once and sometimes twice uh, and, and just walking through the whole building with a Swiffer, getting cobwebs off the corners of the ceilings and the corners of the buildings and, and dusting the baseboards. I see him. I'll be in my office studying, and I'll hear the door clank. I can tell by the sound of the steps and by the rattle of the Swiffer on the, on the ceiling. Uh, there's Brother Sandy getting rid of cobwebs. Nobody hardly ever sees that. No one hardly ever says anything about it. But he's faithful. Amen. Faithful. Doing duty. Now listen, it's far better to do our duty with a spirit of love and a heart of compassion to please the Lord. But whether I'm spiritually right with him in this moment or not, it's still my duty. And what we have to understand is that we have a responsibility to the truth, to the gospel, Adhering to our duty. We are to love God and, to, and man. We are to pray and study. So, Pastor, you didn't give us a lot of references here. I know. Pray and study. It's not hard to find verses in the Bible that tell you to pray, and it's not hard to find verses in the Bible that tell you how important it is for you to know the Bible. Amen. Pray and study. Thirdly, I would say here, go and give and then tell others. And this is just basic Christianity 101. Told you at the beginning, this is nothing new this morning. This is just a reminder. What do I need in my life? I need to be faithful. And if I'm going to be faithful, I have to apply truth to my life. And if I'm going to be faithful, I have to adhere to that truth once it's been applied. And if I'm going to be faithful, I have to do my duty for God. And that means to love God and man. And that means to pray and to study his word. And that means to give and it means to tell others about what Jesus has done for me. Lastly this morning, I need to be faithfully abiding, loyal to my Savior. Faithfully abiding. 
loyal to my Savior. Hebrews chapter number 3. In verse number 14, he says, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Steadfast unto the end. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 11, he says, And we desire that every one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Until the end. When the end comes, will you be here? So, Pastor, what do you mean the end? Well, if Jesus were to come 20 years from now, will you be here? If you live 10 more years, will you go to heaven, having died, being here? I keep up. I keep a log of basically every service. I could, I could tell you for the last eight years and a half, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival, the title of the sermon, the text of the sermon, and who preached it. Unless someone else preached it, then I just know who preached it. I also have a log of funerals that I've conducted over the years. I, my, my son's father-in-law has been a pastor for longer than I have, well over 20 years. I think he's preached two funerals in 20 years. I've preached 40 plus. I can tell you the date. I can tell you the sermon title, the text of every one of those funerals. I have a file in the desk drawer that's got the obituaries. I've got a file in the desk drawer that's got. And some are not filed. Sometimes they just kind of stay on my desk for a while. And as I was reviewing this morning and I was thinking about this, I looked over to my left and I had come in on Friday and did a lot of catching up and going through some paperwork and mail and all that kind of stuff. And lo and behold, there's Miss Molly's right at the top. It's been almost a year since her stroke. It's been not quite a year since she went home. I think she lived about three months or so after. It was in June, I believe. But you know where she died? In the same Sunday school classroom that she had been in for 40 plus years. The room was different. I moved her around sometimes. But she was there. Now, she didn't physically, literally die in her classroom. She didn't physically suffer her stroke in her classroom. My point is, is that she was faithfully serving God. When I became the pastor here in August of 2012. <clears throat> Her husband was still living. I think my resume is not particularly impressive. And the church got 50 resumes. Her husband was a deacon at the time. Somehow out of those 50, I know how, it's through prayer, it's the Lord's will. Pulled mine, put on the top and said, this is who we need. It's not anything about me. It's just the will of God. And that was in August, and I preached his funeral in November. I'm viewed asked me the week before Miss Molly went home. I could I could tell you she looks like she's like declining a little bit to me, but she's still pretty sharp. Yeah. 
I had no expectation that Miss Molly wouldn't still be here for the next five years plus, lest something unforeseen happen. Brother Dave calls me, pastor, called mom, she didn't answer, so I went over. Got the paramedics there right away, she couldn't get out of bed, and they told me she was having a stroke right there on the spot. It's the Lord's will. When Jesus comes for you, when the Lord calls you home, are you going to go to heaven into his presence ashamed, making excuses? Are you going to walk in boldly before the throne? Lord, my class might not have been the biggest. My church might not have been the most impactful. But I did my very best for all my life. I stayed faithful. And you can hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. You want your life to matter? It doesn't matter how many notches you put in your belt. It doesn't matter how high up the church leadership ladder you can climb. What matters is when he comes for his bride or when he comes for you. Will you be found faithful? Undergird your life with a foundation of faithfulness. There will be good days. There will be bad days. There will be heartbreak. There will be rejoicing. There will be every good thing and there will be every hard thing in life that you can imagine that every other person on the sin-cursed earth has to deal with. But if you trust him, you'll never go through it alone. You'll always have his grace. And when you go through it, you won't be sentenced off and put aside suffering and silence. You will be suffering in a way that God can walk with you and can use it to impact and influence the lives of others, to encourage them. Some people come to Christ. I remember, I'll give you this last illustration and we'll go. Whenever my boys were in high school and I was pastoring in Arkansas, we, we in our Christian school league, we were fully committed we worked hard for a number of years and, and we played to other Christian schools in the state and you know, the, the Lord blessed them and their hard work, my guys, and, and they accomplished a lot and we were grateful for that. But there's a family that had I think five boys and a daughter, four or five boys. And this little small school that we played up in the northern part of the state, we got word, I think right before or after one of our games was starting, that one of the boys, and we just we're either going to play them the next week or had just played them the week before. I can't remember. About two minutes left in the game. Was sitting on the bench during a timeout, catching his breath. And whenever the team broke their huddle to go back onto the floor, he didn't go. And they looked over and he was slumped over in his seat. His dad, who happened, it was an evangelist who happens to be the pastor of that church now. Scooped him up in his arms, got him in the car, had someone drive him to the hospital, performed CPR on his son all the way to the hospital. Doctors couldn't do anything. If there had been a defibrillator at the gym, they might could have saved him. His dad said, later he told me, he said, I'm so grateful. The last thing that I told my son to do 
before we went to church, or no, before they went to the game that night, was son, make sure that I think a deer stand was hung up in the garage. I'm so glad that his response was, yes, sir, and just happily went and did it. It's the last thing that I remember saying to him. It was his birthday, too, the boys. We all went to his funeral. The family gathered there in the hospital when the doctors told them that he had gone to heaven, and they stood in the emergency room and sang. They sang beautifully. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let false doctrine, let a bitter spirit, let an angry spirit, let a rebellious spirit dominate your life. You won't be able to sing that. But if you're surrendered and you're humbled and you're applying truth and you're adhering to truth and you're committed to the truth and you embrace your duty and you love your Savior, someday, when it's all said and done, you can say, Father, I may not have as much as that guy, but I was faithful. Well done. If we just get to heaven and hear Jesus greet us with welcome home and well done, what a wonderful, wonderful arrival into heaven that will be.